All right, so in the section of Scripture that we're entering into now, Ephesians 2.11, down through partway into chapter 3, really, it's one big section, and there are really two things Paul's trying to accomplish. It would make a better sermon if I could say one thing, and then we'd just be on that one thing. But there are actually two things. It starts off one and kind of morphs into the other, and the one feeds into the other. So i got to tell you about the two things so the sermon's not as good. But the first thing he's going to talk about here is he's kind of doing a repeat of what he did earlier in chapter 2. Some of you who are with us or you just know Ephesians chapter 2, you remember he starts off saying, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, dot, 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 but God raised you up. So there's a you were but God. Now he does that again in this second half of the chapter. You notice it starts off, it started off, therefore remember that at one time you were, you were at that time separated from Christ, and then later, but now in Christ Jesus, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So early in the chapter, you were, but God. Later in the chapter, you were, but now God has done this. So he's repeating that theme. He's showing us what we were, without Christ reminding us, and then he's going to show us what we are, how we're blessed now that we're in Christ. So that's one of the themes going on here, especially in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, which we won't get to all that today. But there's a second theme going on here. It starts off kind of the slighter theme, but becomes the big one by the time we're in chapter 3. So I want to mention it to you, and it's the, the vastly important theme of unity between brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's also showing you were Gentiles, and so you were apart from the Jewish this and that and that and that, and, and here's how you viewed them, and here's how they viewed you. But now, by the grace of God, through Christ, you are one new man. And he's going to really press, and he's going to really teach, and he's going to really hammer the subject of our unity that we have in Jesus Christ. We might say this is a primary text in God's Word to guide us in the subject of, the important subject of, ethnic reproachment, ethnic reconciliation. How do different peoples come together and experience unity? How do different peoples come together and become one? This is a primary text in God's Word teaching us about how to have our unity in Christ, how to experience ethnic reproachment. I'll give you a hint. Some of you might not like this hint. Please just take it from a heart of love. I mean it, but it's the truth. The, the, the methodology Paul's going to give us is not the one given us by Karl Marx. It is, it is a different way, a way better way of ethnic reproachment, of ethnic, ethnic reconciliation. It's not the theme of oppressors and oppressed. It's not the theme of what the oppressors need to do and what the oppressed need. It's not that theme at all. It's about how we become one in Jesus Christ. So we have these two themes going on here. One, you were, but you now are. And the other theme is God's taking two peoples and making them one. Here's how he does it. Here's how it's done. We're going to start with that second one, all right? Long introduction. You still with me? It's good when you're still with me, and we're only ending the introduction. You still with me? All right, so here we go. We're going to go into the subject of unity in Christ for a little while. Long introduction on that. Unity is accomplished in Christ by giving us new hearts. 
whatever your ethnicity, whatever mine, we have new hearts when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. New hearts have, what's the primary important thing we notice about new hearts? New hearts have new loves. What do you get when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved? You get the forgiveness of sins. You also get regenerated. You also get a new heart. You also get the law of God written in your heart. You also get the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart to empower all that. And out of a new heart empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have new loves. And you, whatever your background, whatever your people group, whatever your ethnicity, you find you love the kingdom of God. I should have said first, you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you love the kingdom of God, and you love the things of God, and you love the people of God, and guess what? That other ethnicity person over there is one of the people of God, and all of a sudden, you love them. You really love them, and you love the Word of God, and you love the church of Jesus Christ. So all these new loves are imported into your now regenerated soul, and you live according to them, and guess what? So does he. And so does she. And now, by virtue of your union, that you both have union with Christ, by virtue of the fact that you're both one in Christ, your oneness in Christ absolutely eclipses any differences you had culturally, any difference that you had ethnically. They pale. They fade away. We are so one in Christ, we'll figure out how to deal with our differences about and you fill in the blank, all right? So our, our unity in Christ, and it matters. I'm gonna spend a little time impressing upon us how it matters. So Paul writes a lot about it here, but let's go to some other texts. Now, you should be thankful for how merciful I'm about to be, because I had a long list of texts, and I cut it down a little bit. So if you feel like, Steve, that was a long list. Oh, you don't know. You didn't get the long, some of you are going to be like, mm, I feel ripped off, I want the long list. All right, this is long enough. Unity matters. Here are some scriptures about that. I'm not putting these up, most of them I'll tell you when the one goes up. Slide, man. Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen? How good it is. How pleasant it is. Anybody in this room had it otherwise? Been part of a church that lost its unity? Been part of a church where people drifted apart? Been part of a church where there were big differences? Yeah, it wasn't good. And it wasn't pleasant. But how good and how pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's very important. It's much to be sought after. It's, it's really valuable to the people of God. Maybe that's why in John chapter 17, our next text, Jesus prayed for it. He said, Father, even as you and I are one, I'm praying that they also may be one. I mean, how one are the Father and the Son? They're one, right? They are one. And Jesus says, that's the model, that's the picture for the kind of oneness I, have my, I want my people to have with one another. Even as you and I are one, there's the model, that they also may be one in us, and here's a result that's supposed to come from that, that the world may know that you sent me. Like the world is supposed to say, how on earth do they pull that off? There are all these different people in that one place, and different backgrounds and ethnicities and things. How do they pull it off? They love one another. 
And they get together and lift their voices and sing together with one voice and one heart. How do they do that? They're supposed to say, maybe, maybe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Maybe the gospel really does change people and give them love for other peoples of the earth. Or another important passage on unity, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Somebody told me, we had some friends from the church over on Friday night, and they told me, when you read the passages and they're not up there, you, you go too fast and I can't get it written down in my notes. Can you like create a, a, an email that you'll send out that'll have all the passages in it or something? Uh, or can you just slow down? Can you just maybe repeat it twice? Yeah, but the clock's running and I gotta end this sermon when the countdown clock is done. So, um, so I, I wanna go fast. First Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews who didn't like Gentiles or Gentiles who didn't get Jews, whether we be bond or free, and we have all been made to drink of one spirit. One, one, one. That's us, the body of Christ. Welcome to it. Or 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers. Note how strong his appeal is. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, can you create a stronger basis for appeal than that. Well, what's the appeal? That all of you agree. Just agree. Let's all agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Wow, that's unity that you all agree, no divisions, same mind, same judgment. You say, how can we possibly all agree? I mean, we're not a huge crowd, but if we all have to agree, it's gonna be a church of like two, Debbie and me, and I'm not sure she's gonna make the cut either, so. How are we all gonna agree? There's so many issues. Well, we're gonna agree that we will definitely agree on the core doctrines of the Christian faith, and we're gonna agree that we can flex with each other on the others and love one another anyway. That'll work. So we're going to agree on the basis for our unity, but that's what he says. No divisions, united in the same mind, same judgment. So what you say is what I say. So you say about that one, we can flex on that, we can differ on that. I say the same thing. You say, we can't flex on this one. It's a deity of Christ. And I say the same thing, deity of Christ. We don't, we don't flex on that one. So we, we're saying the same thing. Or Ephesians 4, 2 to 3, Ephesians 4, 2 to 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You're going to be part of a church? Guess what? You're going to have to do some bearing with. Amen? It's like those people at that corner, that's going to be that way. It's going to take some bearing with. With all humility and gentleness, you do that with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Man, I'm eager, you say. I'm eager to maintain that, so I'm willing to bear with a lot. I'm willing to endure a lot. I'm willing to, you know, Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. I have a big, thick blanket of love that I'm willing to throw over a whole multitude of sins at Cornerstone Church 
because I'm eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Or Philippians 1.27, Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side like a phalanx. Here's soldiers, shoulder to shoulder. There we are with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is the will of God through Jesus Christ for us, for us in Cornerstone Church, that we'd be like that, that army, that phalanx. We're shoulder to shoulder, man, standing together, striving together for the faith of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit. Or Philippians 2.2, 2. we're almost done this long list, all right? Hang with me. Make my joy complete. Paul's in jail. He's aged. He can pull things like this. Hey, people, just make me happy, would you? Just make my joy complete. You say, well, the only proper motive is the love of God and to honor and glorify. Paul says, no, I'm going to give you a motive. It's make the aged apostle happy. All right, there are other ways to motivate people in the Word of God. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. So the love you have for them is the love you have for them, is the love you have for them, is the love you have for them, is the love you have for me. It doesn't matter what their background, doesn't matter what your differences, they're eclipsed by. This isn't a political statement when I say it this way. They are trumped by, I don't mean any reference to a person there, right? They are, they're completely trumped by the unity that we have through Jesus Christ. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I mean, I think there's a theme here in the Word of God. Have you noticed it? It's like this thing doesn't just show up once. We're not out on a branch and doing something really small and unimportant here. This is something really big. It comes up again and again to church after church after church after church. Romans 15, 5 through 7, the last one I'll read. Romans 15, 5 through 7. It's a prayer of Paul. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So your harmony, such harmony, is in accord with Christ Jesus. You might not have harmony over Chevy truck or Ford truck. Like I've noticed some of y'all drive Chevy trucks. What are you doing? What are you doing bringing your Chevy trucks into my church's parking lot? desecrating the place and fill in any other difference that humans might have that's way, 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 way below the gospel, the word of God, the kingdom of God, the unity we have in Christ. Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus so that together, listen to this, you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we all open our mouths, we all say the same thing. We all say, oh, that one's a deity of Christ. We all agree on that. There's no flexing on that one. If you're going south on that one, we got a problem. 
But then there's a whole lot of other issues that we say aren't the core doctrines of the Christian faith, and we can agree to disagree on those. We can have friendly skirmishes on those. We can have little debates on those. And he concludes it, Romans 15, 5 through 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Well, he drives a Chevy. How am I supposed to? Well, Christ welcomed him, so you welcome him. Well, they see that issue differently than me. Well, they landed a different place on that thing over there. Well, Christ has welcomed them, so welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So what am I saying? Unity, one of the themes coming up in our passage with this long introduction, unity really matters. It's really important. Hey, Cornerstone people, let's let's be very diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's so easily broken. It's so easily destroyed. Church fights happen so easily. If if there aren't watchmen on the wall, I see a fight coming. We better go right out into that field and deal with it before it gets you, before it gets big. We better talk about it when it's small. Church unity really matters. Well, why is Paul writing this to them? What was the big problem of unity in their day? Well, the biggest one was obviously what? Jew and Gentile. That was a big problem. And in many of these places, he identifies that as the problem. Now, are there any problems in our day? Yeah, how long do you have? How big or little do you want your list to be? By the way, some of the problems in our day that are allegedly big are, in my opinion, not near as big as some people with Marxist agendas want you to believe. All right? But it was a very big problem, Jew and Gentile. In short, Jews didn't like Gentiles, and Gentiles didn't like Jews. And Jews didn't want Gentiles, goyim, dogs, uncircumcised in their church. Those people, those people coming into our church, messing up our church, ruining our church. Like Johnny Gentile and family come in, and they sit down in the pew, and mommy Jewish woman gets her kids and says, let's slide over here, kids. Like, ooh, Gentiles, we don't do that. That's what was going on. A good illustration of how Jews felt about, felt about Gentiles is found in the Old Testament prophet named Jonah. Right, your minds just race through that story and you see where this is going, don't you? It was Jonah. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them that they repent, because if you preach it, they'll repent. Now, I wish God told me, go to a city and preach repentance and the whole city will repent. Like, I'd be on that. Not Jonah. Jonah's like, you want Nineveh? That's, that's Johnny Gentile land. You want me to go preach to them and they'll repent? I don't want to do that. He gets on a ship and he goes in the opposite direction. Well, God sends a storm. The sailors divine that it's him. He's the cause of the storm. They throw him in the water. A big fish eats him up. He's such a pathetic prophet that he makes anybody sick. He makes the fish sick. The fish spits him up on the ground. He goes to Nineveh reluctantly, grumping, and he preaches repent, and everybody in the city repents, and now he's disgusted. And now he's upset, and now he's all gloomy. And he goes and sits down outside the city, and he basically says, Lord, I told you they believe, and I don't want those people in my church. I don't want those people in my fellowship. He wasn't happy that the city repented. And that's a good example of how the Jewish person viewed the Gentile. 
those people in our church? Oh, no, they have to become completely Jewish first. They have to become just like us, starting with circumcision and keeping all the law and all the ordinances and all the ceremonies. They have to be like us, or we can't possibly be around those people. And Gentiles weren't nuts about Jewish people. Two quick illustrations of that. Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate says to him with a sneer, I'm not a Jew, am I? That's how Gentiles felt about the Jews. In the book of Acts, we see it again. There are some owners of a Philippian slave girl. Paul casts out the demon, and now they're all upset. They're going to lose their livelihood. They made money off of that slave girl, and so they take it to court, and they say, these men, and then they add this phrase, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. That's how they felt about Jewish people. They're Jews. They're Gentiles. They're dogs. They're goyim. They're uncircumcised. So that's how they felt about each other. And now the Gentile believes in the Lord Jesus, and the Jew believes in in the Lord Jesus, and they're both in Cornerstone Community Church. And what's supposed to happen? They're supposed to be so one. They're supposed to love one another so fervently with a pure love that all those other things are eclipsed. All those other things are, again, if you will, cautiously trumped. They don't matter anymore because they're in Christ. So this is what Paul's dealing with, and he wants the Jew to understand what's going on with the Gentile and welcome them, and he wants the Gentile to understand what's going on with the Jew and welcome them. And this is where a key passage in the Bible where we learn how to get along with people with whom we differ in church, in short, again, it's because we agree on so much. Who cares whether they drive a Chevy? Did I say that? I did say that. So we're doing two things. We're seeing unity, how to have unity in church. We're also seeing you were, but now you are. Now we're going to focus more on the you were, but you are as we get into the text. Sorry for that long introduction. Can I go real long today? So Here's what Paul's going to say. Here's what Paul wants the Gentile to praise God for. Let me give you a quick run through. Here's a slide that has six points on it if they all fit on one slide. Here we go. First, you Gentiles, you recalled the uncircumcision. He's going to identify you that way. Second, you were separated from Christ. Third, you were aliens from the commonwealth, politeos, the political system of Israel. Fourth, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Fifth, you were having no hope. And sixth, you were without God in the world. And so this is pretty much Gentile land in here. I can think of a couple Jewish people in our church who are in Christ, but it's mainly Gentile land here. This is all of us. This is most of y'all. So first, let's note this. You were called, excuse me, the uncircumcision, Ephesians 2.11. Let's read it. Here's a slide. Thank you. Therefore, remember... just funny how many things I get comments on. That just reminded me again, somebody actually commented to me, uh, when you take the drink, you do it too fast. <laughs> it's like Sunday morning, honey, I don't want to go to church. <laughs> All right, pardon me. Sorry, right. we can have fun about things like that. Ephesians 2.11, therefore remember that at one time, this is before you were saved, before you believed on the Lord Jesus, before you repented and turned to God, that God would be God to you. Therefore, remember that at one time, at that time, you, 
Gentiles in the flesh. Now, it's very important that you notice he starts to describe what it means to be a Gentile in the flesh. In your flesh, you're a Gentile, but in your soul, you're going to be something else before he's done. Remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision with a sneer by what is called by what is called the circumcision they think they are but they're not he's about to say which is merely we can add made in the flesh by hands that's not the real circumcision that's not the cir- circumcision god is looking for the one they have is the outward external made with hands bodily one it doesn't even count just remember that this, this is what they called you. They called you the uncircumcision. So if you're a Gentile, just remember that your people, going back, Gentile people, for thousands of years lived in absolute pagan darkness anywhere outside of Israel or some close-by lands. So if your people were like, I don't know what, name, name, if, They were Anatolian. They lived in darkness. No prophets, no word of God, no gospel. Nineveh was blessed. They got the gospel. But most most uncircumcised people were this. They were Gentiles in in the flesh. The word Gentiles is the word goyim. It means the nations. So to the Jewish person, there's us, and then there's the nations. And they're all like the same thing. They're all barbarians. The word barbarian is onomatopoetic. It sounds like the thing it describes. It's bar, bar, bar. But they sound like, when they talk, they sound like they're saying bar, 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 bar. So let's call them the barbarians. That's where that word came from. And when a barbarian walked into your church, you could read everybody's lips, all the Jewish people's lips. They went, uncircumcised. Get the kids. Again, they called them dogs. All these were what we call ethnic slurs. So they said, we are the circumcision, and they are the uncircumcision. But Paul, notice he says, he slights it a little bit. He says, they are called, you were called the circumcision by what is called the circumcision. You were called the un, by what is called the circumcision, which is only the one made in the flesh by hands. Okay, so so what point is Paul making here? He, he wants to make a point on the way in, on the way into what you were, but what you are now. On the way into that, he's making a point. Here's how they viewed you. Here's how you maybe viewed yourself. You viewed yourself as like second-class citizen. I'm just a goyim. I'm just a dog. I'm just a Gentile. God's people look down on me. I'm a nobody. And Paul's about to say, um, let me correct their view of circumcision. So he's picking his words carefully, and he wants to say to us, the real circumcision is circumcision of the, give me the next word, the heart. It's circumcision of the heart. Let me read for you, no slide, Deuteronomy 10, 16. Here's what God said to Israel, Deuteronomy 10, 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. That tells us what it means to circumcise your heart. It means you're not stiff-necked toward God's, but you're soft. You're soft-hearted. You have that new soft heart. 
of the new covenant that receives God's word easily and readily. God's word goes in. This is what God wanted from Israel all along. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. What happens in a circumcised heart? Here's what happens. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. A circumcised heart is the same thing as a new heart. What does a circumcised heart do? What does a new heart do? They have new loves. You love God. You love the things of God, the people of God, the Word of God, the kingdom of God, the gospel of God. These are your great loves. Amen? Amen. I want a bigger amen. Come on. Amen? Thank you. That's much better. Where were you the first time around? All right, let's put a few of them up because here's where it gets really good. While Paul's pausing on the way in to just clarify, here's what they called you. Here's what you thought you were. I'm going to pick at them. Romans 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. All right, you want to get me in trouble? Have me read that verse and talk about it. out of the mouth of babes. Like God's using her to warn me, do not go there, Pastor Hartland. All right? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. That person is outwardly a Jew. But Paul says, that's not a real Jew. All right, the the text says that. It's not me making this up. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Not only is that person not a Jew, he's not really circumcised. Oh, yeah, I got the knife. Eight days. No, 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 that's not real circumcision. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So this is the kind of stuff that got Paul stoned. This is so radical. This is such a an affront to the psyche of the Jewish person who took such pride in, I am circumcised. I am a Jew. And Paul says, no, you aren't. You really aren't. You're only the outward version, which isn't the real version. The real version is the one that has a new heart, a circumcised heart. The real version is the one that has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved, whether they come from Jewish blood or Gentile blood. It's a heart circumcision. He brings us out again in Colossians 2. Let's read that, Colossians 2.11. It's on a slide. In him also you, he's talking mainly to Gentiles, were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. I don't love my sinful fleshy deeds anymore. I'm turning from them. I don't want to go in that way anymore. You heard some of that testimonies today. It's exactly what was happening there. By the circumcision of Christ. So here's a good place to ask you a question. Do you have the circumcision of Christ? Whether you're of Jewish blood or Gentile blood, it's not what I mean. Do you have the circumcision of Christ? Has he cut away the stony heart? Has he cut away the fleshy, sinful, fallen part of you that wants to, mm, I love those sins, 
And now you have new loves and new hates. And now I hate those sins when I fall back into them. I, it's not that you never fall into them. It's not that you're never tempted. It's that when I do, I hate it. So now I hate what I used to love, and I love what I used to hate. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's how that works. Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3. Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3. For we are the circumcision. Well, who? Who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We, that's you. You are the circumcision. If you worship God in the Spirit, if you rejoice, do any of you rejoice in Christ Jesus? Say amen. amen. Yeah, you do, don't you? I can tell you do. And the Bible says, well, then you are the circumcision, and you have no confidence in the flesh. What's your confidence in? Salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christ is my solid rock. Christ is my only hope. My only confidence is in his shed blood, his atoning sacrifice, and I've called upon his saving name. That's the, the sum of my confidence. You're the circumcision. So, so Paul starts off by saying, here's what you Gentiles were. Here's what they called you. You were the, the uncircumcised. And then he's going to go through a lot more, and he's going to say, you, they also viewed you as, let's go back to that list, please. Actually, it's, go forward one slide, slide, ma'am, because we've got to bring this to a close. So you were called the circumcision. Next, we would look at you were separated from Christ. Amen, were you, before you were a believer? Yeah, you were separated from Christ. You were aliens from the the, the politeus of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, the Abrahamic, Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, strangers to those. Having no hope, that was us, right? And with, here's the worst, without God in the world. And then let's look at Ephesians 2.13, hoping you'll come back next week to hear it. So here's where it goes next. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought, what? Near. You have been brought near, near by the blood of Christ, near to God, near to the people of God, near to the kingdom of God, near to the word of God, near to the worship of God, near to everything you were far from, near to hope, near to God in the world. You were near and you were brought there by the blood of Christ. Here's a closing question then for you. So is that you? Are you near? Have you been brought near to God through the blood of Christ? Have you been brought near to the people of God? Chevy driving, Ford driving, doesn't matter. Are you near? Have you brought, been brought near to the covenants of promise? Let's take a nearness test. Let's devise the questions that should be on it. Do you have frequent thoughts of God? Do you love God? Do you love the Lord's day? Do you love worshiping with the people of God? Do you love the word of God? Do you love the gospel? Do you love baptisms? Do you love seeing somebody profess their salvation in Christ? What's your nearness number? Great old hymn, Nearer My God to Thee.
And no matter how near you get, there's always room to get more near. So what we really want is to be near to God, and you can be near to God, and it's wonderful to be near to God by simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, turning to him that he may be your God. So I'm going to lead you in prayer now. Would you pray with me if you're not yet near to God, but you want to be near to God, please pray with me. The words aren't the thing that matters. It's your heart. You can recite these words with me. If God doesn't have your heart, it's meaningless. If you recite slightly different words, it doesn't matter. It's your heart, all right? But would you pray with me that God might have your heart and that you would draw near to him through Jesus Christ? Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your presence, and we pray that your word will come with power to those who are not yet near to you through the blood of Christ. We pray that you will draw them. Lord Jesus, draw them to yourself even now. Put it in their hearts to turn to you, to bow before you, that you will be their Lord, their God, to believe upon you, to call upon your saving name. And you who want to do that, you might just pray with me, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, terrible sinner. You're a savior. I've ignored you. And that's a terrible sin. But now I'm turning to you. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, my God. Have my heart.